This podcast is brought to you by The Province. Listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Here are your hosts, Paul Chapman and E. Spencer Kite. Welcome to Province Sports Radio Keyboard Kimura Edition. Wow, I am Paul <laughs> Chapman, joined by Spencer Kite, and uh, you know the media business, Spencer. It's not. Uh, it's not in. Let's say a, a very, I don't want to say not in a prosperous place, place right now, but we always have to consider where we're spending our dollars these days because people have tons of information and they all seem to want it for free. But uh, I'm sure as hell glad that somehow you got to Vegas and we were able to run <laughs> your stuff because that was a card for the ages. That was a card for the ages. I uh, joked with the UFC VP of, of Public Relations, Dave Schaller, that I'm taking full responsibility as... I've been in attendance for the last two pay-per-view events in Las Vegas. Both were bonkers, and so we've set the bar really high for September. Seems that I need to go back in September, but uh, that was honestly the the greatest stretch of six consecutive fights. I think I can remember in, in my history as a fan, as uh, in my history of of watching this sport, it was just one after the other and the bar just kept getting taken higher so it was it was a joy to be there it was a it was a special moment to be there and experience that and i'm glad we were able to bring all of our coverage to to everybody through the province and and through this podcast you know i i have um well i've let my views known be known on here that i was a boxing guy who converted to ufc uh, and the, the the fuss over Pacquiao Mayweather just really puzzled me that it was, you know, seemingly the only thing. Well, I, I know it's the only thing boxing has left, but it was just the level of sort of the casual fan being interested in this one fight. And I think it just let everyone down, though it was a spectacle. And this is why I've transitioned to being a, a, an MMA guy and a UFC guy. That wasn't one fight, as you just said. That was one fight after the other after the other. And you may have come for either of the co-mains, but in the run-up to it, you you were not disappointed. What was the mood like in Vegas? They talk about the electricity of fight night uh, when there's a big fight like Pacquiao-Vegas, like there used to be when Tyson fought. What was it like before the fight? Was there electricity? Did it help feed the energy of it? Or was it just, just another cool event? Or was it different than the last couple you've been to? This was very different than anything I've been to, really. Um, and that includes UFC 129 in Toronto, which was a special moment for me being an Ontario guy um, well, to go back fault. to the Rogers Centre and, and see, you know, 55,000 people and, and be there during the day when they were doing sort of the production uh, run-throughs to see some of the elements that were going to be coming out. This week even just in like the Wednesday, Thursday of things felt special because there really was that serious Irish presence that Dana White had talked about, that Connor had talked about in the lead up to the fight. Um, spent a bunch of time with several of the Irish media guys, getting to know them and just sort of getting their thoughts and picking their brains about is, is Connor as big for you guys at home as, as he seems to us here and, and they all said he absolutely was. This is, you know, a guy that has really made the sport and made it possible for them to be here. And you got that feeling throughout the week that this wasn't going to be just a typical event. Then they configured the MGM Grand to hold max capacity possible on Friday afternoon for the weigh-ins and got 11,000 people in there. That was bonkers. That's more than they have for... You know, that's more than we're at the O2 in Dublin last July for Conor McGregor's fight against Diego Brandao. And it alone was an electric experience. And I tweeted out during during it as we were all kind of marveling at the site that this is just the weigh-ins. We've still got tomorrow night when we know Sinead O'Connor is going to do a live performance to get Conor to the cage. And and we figured that Chad Mendez would indeed have Aaron Lewis 
sort of following up with a live performance. And so even through those first five fights of the night that were all decisions, and I joked with Matt Erickson of MMA Junkie sort of all along the way that it initially felt like, oh my God, this is going to be one of those cards that just we've built up and we've expected so much of that it's going to suck. And then we kind of looked at it and we're like, there's no way that these last six fights won't deliver at least three or four of them just because of who who was participating because of the stylistic matchups. And sure enough, for Matt Brown and Tim Means, the final preliminary fight on through the end of the night, it was just roller coaster, full-blown energy, take it to another level each successive fight, culminating with Conor McGregor winning the, the interim featherweight title. Okay, so as we get into specifics here, I want to start with uh, Rory McDonald, Robbie Lawler, because, you know, Rory's from BC. He's both guys visited the newsroom uh, when you were over here to to actually push this fight. Um, wh- what what is your takeaway from that? I mean, we we get carried away with a hyperbole top ten fight, fight of the year, uh, fight of the night. Um, Dana White said, "Fight of the ever." <laughs> um, very much fight of the night. Very much the going to be hard to be beaten as fight of the year. For me, it's one of the fights of the ever. Um, Maybe amplified because I'm there cage side and we're all sort of just getting caught up in the moment of it and in the back and forth of it. But even subsequently watching it back, and I've watched the fight four times, I'm not going to lie. You just like it is just such a classic back and forth. I had it 2 2 going into the fifth and thought, here we are, the championship round. Five minutes for all the glory. Um, just a, a, a phenomenal fight. Turns out Rory was ahead 3-1 on all the scorecards. So that, to me, makes Robbie Lawler's win and finish even more impressive because it was needed. Um, but just a an amazing fight that I think is probably only going to get better with age. Like As we continue to move forward from it, and and put some distance between ourselves in that fight, we'll look back on it as as the defining moment probably of Rory McDonald's career, as very much a defining fight in Robbie Lawler's career, which continues to just be this storybook that he's that he's crafting since coming back to the UFC. It it really is amazing to see what he's doing and and what he's been able to do since coming back. You know, I, once once you found out that Rory was ahead on all three cards going into the final round, you may have, we all may look and say, coulda, shoulda, woulda. But honestly, I don't know what else he could have done. F- already fighting with a broken nose at that point and a broken foot, apparently. Um, you know, short of landing a, a miracle punch that would have taken, taken Robbie out, I don't know what he could have done in that fifth round to preserve the victory. Um, I guess maybe he had to finish him off in the fourth because it just his his face afterwards and fighters, you know, when they get marked up like that, you often see them avoid the camera for a good few months. Rory tweeted out (laughs) pictures of himself that were from the not like from the ring, just in pieces. And and certainly the next day where he looked like your classic New Mexico alien with (laughs) the swollen uh, temples and forehead and eyes were closed. Um you know, really, what could Rory have done to win that fight other than, you know, it, it could, was there a point in the fight you felt that he could have maybe been more aggressive when he had Robbie hurt and put him away? Or did he do all he possibly could and, and Robbie Lawler's just a freaking beast? I, I honestly think he did all he could and Ro- Robbie Lawler really just is is made of a whole different set of material than most most mortals. I mean, there were points throughout the third and fourth round where I honestly was bracing myself for a finish and bracing myself internally for this guy that we've watched sort of grow up into this fighter over the last few year, five years and that I personally have had the opportunity to sort of speak to throughout this journey, probably going to win UFC gold and, and fulfill one of his biggest dreams. And, and Spencer, and Robbie I just... Lawler just- I just managed want to, to survive. I just want to jump in here because you had let us know here that there was a scenario 
that if if Rory won, they were considering him bringing him to Vancouver and trotting him through the newsroom and, and various other places on Monday. And, and that was going through my mind where I thought, man, this is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it, it was sort of one of those, we'll see how he is coming out of the fight. So even if he had won, I think that probably would have <laughs> No, gotten, wouldn't have happened, but... Probably would have gotten pushed back a week or seven because it'll take a while for him to get better. Um, but that, even that part hadn't crossed my mind. Like the, the story side of it for me hadn't necessarily crossed my mind outside of getting to put in print the words Rory McDonald, UFC champion for Sunday's paper. Um, but I honestly thought there were, there were a couple different points in those third and fourth rounds where the barrage was such that I thought this is going to be the one where Robbie Lawler goes down. And I mean, in that third round, Rory was, he did everything he could. Like he literally measured his shots and held Robbie Lawler against the cage with one hand and picked the shots and, and found the right spots. And Robbie Lawler just survived. I mean, he looked out on his feet at the end of the third, came back, was able to take the beating that, that Rory handed out in the fourth and still came out ready to go in the fifth. And I mean, they had that moment at the end of the fourth where they just wouldn't break each other's glance. And that was, that was amazing. I think that heightens the, the fight itself because you know, now everything that was at stake in it and, and sort of everything that was on the line going into the fifth. And I mean, I, I think this is just one of those situations where Robbie Lawler is blessed with tremendous power, which I think was really the difference in the fight and, and a phenomenal chin, which is the other factor. And so there to me wasn't really anything where I was like, well, if Rory had just done this, he did everything he could. He fought a brilliant fight um, and, and laid everything out there, left everything in the cage as we saw and wasn't able to get it done, which is a testament to, to Robbie Lawler's toughness and, and championship medal. There was a period you talk about the the um the growth of Rory McDonald. There was a period there where he ground out a couple of victories. He was very smart, cagey, calculated, uh, but wasn't very entertaining. And Dana White kind of called him out and said, It's not just about wins and losses. If you want to be a champion, if you want to headline pay-per-views, you have to have to show me that you're entertaining. Um I'm not sure how wise that is when you see the beating <laughs> that he took, but you know, Dana did talk about that afterwards and, and lauded his toughness, lauded his effort, his heart, and said, you know, even message to Johnny Hendricks, anyone who wants to get to Robbie Lawler has to go through that guy first. But he also said something very interesting where he said, fights like that can change you. Um, what, what do you think the future is for Rory McDonald? I think fights like that very much can change fighters. And, and I mean, we're one of the guys I'm, I'm waiting to see sort of how he bounces back is somebody like Anthony Pettis, who, you know, got manhandled and lost his title last time out is a guy that has always been built on sort of confidence and self-confidence and is used to being in that spotlight and almost craves it. Where for me, I think Rory McDonald is, is built in the opposite way that, that, Losing doesn't necessarily change. I mean, obviously, it's going to be it's going to take some time to get over this physically because he does have a broken nose and a broken foot and and probably lost a couple of years off the tail end of his life in that fight. But I think from a career perspective, Rory's the kind of guy that will be able to build on this comeback. He's not going to be any lesser of a fighter because of this loss and because of this fight. I think if anything it will spur him on more that he was, you know, so close to achieving his goal, so close to winning UFC gold that, that we'll see a similar dominant version of him going forward. I mean, this, uh, you know, we, we will talk about Robbie in a second, but again, the local connection to Rory, I, I, there's a couple of things here I want to touch on. Um, it, what impresses me about him and the way he's evolved, Spence, is, is um and we saw it in this fight. He's got a chin. He also does have power. I mean, I'll be honest. He was knocked out, but I think he was knocked out via, and there's no doubt his brain was clearly messed up. He was knocked out just because he his nose physically, like his body basically yep. said to him, 
you can't take another shot in this area. It, right. it had been just absolutely mangled beyond belief. But, you know, he's shown he's got a chin, shown he's got power, he can wrestle, he can kick, he's good with his hands. Um, you know, and he obviously has heart. It was a five-round fight. Cardio didn't seem to be an issue for him either. Uh, I guess that's where you have to be encouraged. But, you know, Johnny Hendricks was all over it afterwards saying to Robbie Lawler, okay, let's go. You know, basically it's my belt, I want it back type thing. Um, I know that Rory's going to be out of the mix probably longer than Robbie. So maybe the Hendricks fight makes sense. But where does Rory now sit coming off his second loss to Robbie Lawler with Johnny Hendricks sitting there, Tyron Woodley working his way back up, Carlos Condit? He does have to heal, but where do you see the next year or two going for, for Rory? Is he going to get right back in the championship mix? Will he have another tough challenger? Will he have sort of, I don't want to say an easy fight, but a fight to get a W back and get his breath and then see what's happened with, with Robbie's belt in the future? I think he absolutely stays in that upper echelon, and, and there's no way that he falls out of that that top mix in the welterweight division, you mentioned Tyron Woodley, Rory has beaten him. So he's sort of, for me, he's in that two, three range in the division. I think the key will be sort of how quickly Robbie Lawler's ready to come back in terms of figuring out sort of where he goes from here. I know I suggested on Keyboard Kimura that we probably will get the trilogy fight for Robbie Lawler and Johnny Hendricks. Just because the first two were close, there are sort of lingering questions i scored the second fight for johnny Hendricks, even though robbie lawler won i said probably maybe the the rick story eric silva winner they're fighting in saskatoon at the end of august for rory as somebody that's still in that top 15 probably still in that top 10 but as you said is is a winnable fight without throwing him in there with a matt brown or a carlos condit as much as i want to see those fights i think coming off this loss with Robbie Lawler still having the belt, if that's the case, Rory has to take a little bit of a step back because he does have two losses to Robbie Lawler now. And there are a few other guys that are kind of jockeying for position. And so I think that fight gives him an opportunity. It can be a headlining event on a pay on a, on a fight night show. It can be, you know, a headlining event here in Canada. If there's another card out here or part of a pay-per-view part of a Fox show, um, main card going forward without it being sort of a, a make or break championship implication fight for Rory, which I think he might need coming out of this. Just, just a fight to get back and sort of, you know, get over some of, I mean, if, if there are jitters, if there are concerns coming out of that fight that, okay, I can still do this and I, I don't have to be afraid or, or whatever the case may be. And so I think that's probably the path we'll see. It would be if, if I was at the helm, but there's also the possibility that you just try to build off such an instant classic and, and get him right back in the mix with a guy like Carlos Condit who's coming off a comeback win that he has history with. So it'll be interesting to, to see just sort of where everybody falls in the next couple of months in terms of when Robbie Lawler says he's ready to come back, whether Johnny Hendricks wants to wait and what the UFC wants to do with some of these guys. Um, so let me just ask you this: How let, let's just say Hendricks um, ends up with the belt in some way, shape, or form? How how would you see? We know how Rory matches up with with Lawler, and, and I'm not necessarily sure it's a bad matchup. It certainly has has not gone his way, <laughs> but you know, again, he's he's right there with a very, very, very tough champion. How do you see Rory matching up with Johnny Hendricks? I like that matchup for Rory just because I think he's able to sort of play the more mobile of the two, work off his jab, which is very good. The thing with Robbie Lawler that, that makes him such a difficult out for anybody and almost especially for Rory is that he has terrific takedown defense and he has such power and such a diverse striking game that he hits you with anything and it hurts and it has that impact. Where Johnny Hendricks is more of a one-punch kind of guy. He does work a little bit of more with combinations now than he did in the past. But he's really just kind of hunting for that big left. And he's looking to use his wrestling and kind of wear you out. And I think Rory's able to move better than, than Johnny Hendricks does. Sort of operate in space. Use his range. Use his length. 
use everything that he has at his disposal, sort of in the same way that Robbie Lawler did throughout throughout their two fights. He can almost play the Robbie Lawler part with Hendricks and and maybe have more success in that matchup than he can against a guy like Robbie that has so many different weapons that he can he can throw your way. Uh, so let's talk. Or oh, one last thing I did want to mention on Rory before we move on to, to Lawler a little bit. Um, you know, there, there's, I talked about how I got converted to be a UFC fan. It was sort of this fallacy through the early days of UFC that it was, that you'll hear people, the critics refer to as the human cockfight. Um, I have to admit having met both guys and, you know, liking them when they came in here, obviously you have an emotional investment in it. Was that fight at all tough for you to watch? Because there was a part of it for me while I was enthralled at the back and forth, the toughness of both guys. There was a part of me which it, I found it a little hard to watch just because they were doing such damage to each other. Yeah, there absolutely was. I mean, we're we're sitting cage side and you can just see the ribbons of blood dropping, dripping off Roy McDonald's face from about the second round on. And, and like you said, I mean, you have these, it's tough to see anybody get hurt. It's tough to see anybody get knocked out. Um, but it's almost one of those things where if a guy gets knocked out quick and decisive, it's almost better because they, you know, obviously they get their bell rung risk of concussion, but they're then back up and it's okay. And there's not as much lasting visible damage as there is with that fight where you see, you know, Rory McDonald starting to swell up early in the first round and you see the blood dripping off his face and the cuts and the bruises. And, and then you see that with Robbie as well. And so it definitely gets tough. It definitely, even, you know, even if you don't know them, it can sometimes be tough to watch to then have it be, as you said, two guys that were great when they came into the offices, a guy in Rory McDonald that I've been fortunate enough to, to get to know over the years in there, it really does hit that sort of dichotomy of this is a great fight, but oh my God, the punishment these guys are taking. Not that you want it to end because you don't want to see either of them robbed of the moment, but there's almost a sense of relief when it does end and, and Rory did fall early in that fifth round because, okay, now it's over. It was It was great. It was phenomenal. But now they can both immediately start recovering and and you want to see them get better and get that blood stopped and and get to the hospital to get checked out um so let's talk about robbie quickly what a performance you know we look (laughs) at it kind of from a from a hometown guy's point of view but i i saw in a ton of places both while a fight was going on and afterwards um people just pondering what the hell has happened to this guy (laughs) because two and a half three years ago you know, you've talked about the guys falling asleep at press conferences, the guys losing to guys who are supposedly way below his ability. You know, what has spurred this guy on now to be such a champion? Because he's gone from a good story coming back and maybe getting a little bit of redemption to, man, what a beast. Yeah, so three years before UFC 189, Robbie Lawler lost a decision to Lorenz Larkin in Strike Force, where he just he got outworked completely. Lorenz Larkin was the quicker you know, more active of the two fighters. And Robbie looked like he was just, that was going to be the end of it. That was his last fight in strike force. And it, I mean, he went three and three and five under the strike force banner and talked about it when he was in the offices. He just, he wasn't that interested. He felt like the UFC was where he wanted to be. It was the big leagues. He wanted to get back. He was fighting at middleweight because they were paying him the same. And why cut weight if I don't have to, um, and I mean the big the big change and and he gives a lot of credit to his team and an American top team has really been a huge influence on him getting down there training with an elite group that works every day that is professional through and through that have all the resources that have all the coaches that have an abundance of training partners that can push you and make you better has been a big part of it. I think another part of it is just getting older and just maturing and and wanting to to be all the things that we expected him to be when he started i mean even just this week he seemed to or last week sorry he seemed to embrace the role a lot more 
He was a little more talkative throughout the week. He was a little more engaged and, and sort of emotional about things, not from a like, you know, breaking down sense, but there was a little bit more, there's a little bit more aggressiveness to his voice and a little bit more aggressiveness to what he was saying. I think being the underdog going into that fight really, really bugged him a little bit. And then we even saw in his walkout coming out to hold on, I'm coming, singing the lyrics. Like it was such a fitting song because he is the guy that at 19, 20 years old, when he was training with Matt Hughes and everybody at the Militich camp, we expected him to be a champion. It's just taken him a while. So hold on, he's coming. Here he is. Now he's the champion. And, and now he is everything that we really wanted him to be and probably more. And you look at a matchup now coming off of that with Johnny Hendricks. To me, uh, Robbie Lawler looks like he is improving each fight. That's not to say Johnny Hendricks isn't still a beast. Because I was, I was like you, I, I actually thought Hendricks won that last time they fought. But to me now, there's Robbie Lawler's building up this swagger. He's building up a little more invincibility. It seems to me like this is a tougher fight for Johnny Hendricks than it was last time. Yeah, I think so as well. And and got a chance to talk to Johnny during media day on Thursday. And he said that's the fight he wants. It's the fight he's going to continue going after until the UFC gives it to him. There's, you know, a couple elements to their first two fights. Obviously, the first one, Johnny suffers a torn biceps muscle in the first round. In the second one, he had a tough cut, which he talked to us about, sort of saying everything was on point and everything was going to be good. But, you know, it it wasn't the easiest cut for him to get down um, to that weight. But I agree with you. I think Robbie Lawler is just sort of riding that crest of confidence and and getting more and more sure of himself and and comfortable in what he's doing with each fight, which sounds weird for a guy that's been around for a decade, but there's something to it when you're at that championship level and you're able to come through a fight like that and get the win. You're able to come through a fight like the second fight with Johnny Hendricks or the fight with Matt Brown, who was on a tremendous run before Robbie Lawler got the victory over him that just builds you into even more of a, a tougher fighter to put away the next time out. And so for me, it's why I want to see the third fight and why I'd, I'd hope to see it next so we can get it done, get it behind us and then move on one way or another with, with either one of them at the top of the division and the other one sort of alongside Rory McDonald as man, these are two tough outs at the top of the division for anybody that wants to try to get to that title fight. Um, again, we'll, I promise you we will get to Conor McGregor <laughs> next. But there was another thing after the fight which really, again, did made me feel a little bit queasy, and that was when the salaries came out. Um, I know these are the state commission reported salaries, but to see, you know, again, you, you can talk about the Mayweather scale and what he went through and the money from that pay-per-view that he made for his fight with Pacquiao. You talk about even that Mendez and, and McGregor made half a million each reported. And I know there was a fight of the night bonus, but Rory's uh, reported payday for that fight was 59000 Are you kidding me? Is this part of the Reebok deal or is there other stuff that we don't know about? Explain this to me because a guy who puts his health on the line to that extent to be that far out of whack when one guy, Mendez, taking the fight on, on, on a couple of weeks' notice is making – literally 10 times what Rory is and for for again what ended up happening to him that just seems to me to be wrong yeah there's no there's no Reebok money factored into that so that comes secondary that will get paid out based on wherever however many number of fights Rory McDonald has had in the UFC and where he falls in those tiers um Chad Mendez getting five hundred thousand dollars is a stroke of of genius on behalf of his management team, MMA Inc., and Chad for negotiating that as, well, I'm going to need a whole lot of money to get in the cage with this dude on on two weeks' notice and help save your card. Um, I think there's always that element of you look back on the fight and say, well, he got paid just that much for for what he just went through. For me, it's just this is a guy that has been a top five fighter for the last two years that has been groomed towards being a champion and been on the verge of these title shots for a while. Now he's in a title fight and his take home is, is less than $60,000. Like that just, I'm with you. It, it doesn't seem 
reasonable. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, I mean, fighter pay is one of those things that we could probably spend a three-part series of podcasts talking about. But it's just, it's unbelievable to me. And and really, it's unacceptable to me that you can pour so much money into the production and staging of these events. You can announce a $7.2 million gate largest in the history of the UFC in the United States. You can have 16,000 people there to where you released extra tickets the week of that were at a ridiculous markup price. And yet the title challenger makes $60,000. That just, it does. I mean, even we look at the $500,000 for Conor McGregor, who also gets pay-per-view points on there. Chad Mendez also will get some pay-per-view points, I believe. Um, but even that just, and I know it's not necessarily fair to compare it with other sports leagues like the NFL or the NBA where guys are making astronomical yearly salaries. But you can't compare it to boxing. But you have to compare it to boxing or you have to compare it to, it just feels so out of sorts to me that the elite in this sport and Dana White's counter will always be, well, that's disclosed pay. We don't know what these guys are making in pay-per-view bonuses and discretionary yeah. bonuses. And, and that's like sort that. of what I was asking. And that, and that's fine. And I'm sure Rory McDonald got, will get an extra paycheck from the UFC for that being the fight of ever. If he doesn't, he should sit down with his management and take a long, hard look at what the hell he's doing. Um, because that's the kind of fight that deserves a great big bonus. That's the kind of performance that deserves a great big raise. But but on the whole, to me, it's crazy that these guys are only making what they're making, given what they put themselves through. Absolutely. And given what the UFC's worth. Yeah. And when you, say, when you talk about professionalism, how the UFC made the Reebok deal because they want to look professional, they want to look big league, they want to look big league. You need to give a guy who ended up looking the way he did more money than $60,000 because well, that's it, it, I, I, I'm yeah. not being disrespectful, it, but that's CFL money. Well, well, and the, I mean, I've the comparison I've always made for people and, and sort of have looked at sort of, you know, other leagues, it's MLS money. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are guys in MLS that make far more than that per year. Yes. They're the designated players and there's only a small amount of them, but, but on the whole, these guys are making MLS money. And when you look at the MLS as being, you know, several notches below that really truly elite tier of, of football players in, in the world, when you look at the EPL and you look at, you know, the Spanish league and the Italian league and things like that to then have the UFC, which is the biggest organization in this sport and guys aren't making you know, I mean, every every event we have guys in the cage begging for bonuses because they're broke. I talked to Yer Rodriguez, who fought on that card in Mexico uh, yesterday, and he had said following his fight, you know, I had 400 bucks in the bank. Cajal Pendred, who fought at UFC 189, took this fight and, and took this short notice opportunity against John Howard because he had spent all of his money pre-Mexico preparing for that fight. So he needed to get another payday. Goes out and takes a short notice fight and loses, but it gets him another it gets him another payday. That's not right. That can't be the way it exists. And so while the UFC will always have their we're a privately traded company, we're a private company, we don't have to disclose this stuff. These guys are independent contractors. Do better by these guys, man. Like you're worth billions of dollars as an organization and as individuals that own it. You will curry so much good favor if you just came out and took care of these guys the way that most people look at it and say they should be taken care of better. Absolutely. So let's move on now to Conor McGregor. Uh, Wins the interim title. Uh, Now, you know, it, it, that, that fight was all over the place. And again, looking at that reaction as it was happening and reaction afterwards, people talk about how deficient Conor McGregor's uh, wrestling game is, how he was taken down easily. Um, but honestly, if you, and especially if you listen to him after the fight, he's basically saying, I don't care who it is. Like, Mendez is one of the heaviest hitters in this division, and I didn't feel it. Now, I know he was bleeding, uh, and I know he took a lot of punishment, but... 
is, how do you think? First of all, let's get let's get your opinion on, on the on the fight. What did you see from McGregor? What did you think of it? Uh, do you how how different do you think it would be if Mendez had a whole camp to prepare for it? I think it would definitely be a little bit different if Mendez had a whole camp to prepare for it. Um, I also think it would be different if Connor wasn't hurt going in. I mean, we knew sort of a couple weeks in advance, though no one would confirm on the record that Connor was dealing with a knee injury. Um, I think that changes sort of the way he's able to defend his coach, John Kavanaugh has since come out and said, Connor didn't do any real live wrestling practice because of this injury. Um, but for me, it, it's funny. We went into that fight wanting to see the wrestling question answered. I think it was, I think Connor still has some suspect takedown defense, but I also think it doesn't necessarily matter unless the guy on top is going to be doing a lot of damage. And the thing that Connor did really well in that fight was minimize space and tie up Chad Mendez. It sucks that he's sort of looking at the referee and asking for a stand up. I hate them. I would rather see the guy on the bottom have to try to work his way back up and, and look for sweeps and look for opportunities to escape because I think the wrestler did the work to get you there. He should get to keep you there. But at the end of the day, he did he did everything that he needed to do to escape back to his feet and make the most of that time he had standing and get that finish. And so even though I still think a wrestler is going to be sort of a potential foil for him going forward, it's hard to really knock him because at the end of the day, he had 45 seconds left in the second round to do some damage and, and do some work and finish the fight. Is that, is that why Conor McGregor is, uh, does have a legitimate future and he isn't just hype for the UFC is that he has power that really seems to be at the very top end of that division. I think so. I mean, regardless of what happens next, I I mean, I'm still going to pick Jose Aldo to beat him once Jose Aldo's healthy and, and they get that fight lined up just because I think, Connor does take some shots and he does sort of trust his chin maybe a little bit too much. And Jose Aldo's on a different level as, as Chad said at the post fight press conference. Um, But I think no matter what happens in his next fight, he's a guy that will remain a top five fighter in that division in the title picture for a long time can possibly go up to lightweight because he is a big featherweight and even be a potential force there. Although there are, some more wrestlers and some more heavy grapplers that would probably be a challenge for him. But he's definitely a guy that's going to remain a central figure in the UFC for the next five or six years. Um, It's interesting you say that, you know, obviously I I agree with you. I think that Aldo will be the the champion, but one of the things that was curious to hear Mendez talk about was the support and how, it just seemed everything, and and I know having live music, musicians walk them out uh, really added to the sense of the occasion and that, that it was something special, something different. Um, but there was that traveling support for him, and and they want to do that fight in a bigger venue. Is is that something that could be intimidating? And, and that depends. I know that they're talking about doing it in Vegas or somewhere that would be neutral. It's not like you're going to go down to Brazil or even to Croke Park in, in Dublin, which is something else they've kicked around as well. But, I mean, you're talking about the guy just seems to feed off that energy. There are other people who can have support either negative or positive, And that's just the way they are. It does not going to impact them. Man, he really seems to feed off that, the crowd's energy. He does. And, and in talking with some of the Irish media and guys like Pete Carroll from, from severe MMA and, and some newspapers over there, I asked, are we able to duplicate this? Like the next fight, are you guys all going to come over? Are we going to have, another three, four, five thousand traveling Irishmen. And he said we would sell our mothers every possession <laughs> to get over here. Um, and that means something. That means a lot. Connor and and I've gotten a chance to talk to him in Dublin. I've gotten a chance to walk on a street with him where people two years ago are stopping him and thanking him for the performance and congratulating him on the performance. It does mean a lot to him. It does mean a lot to that team to be representing that country um, on this stage. And, and I think no matter where he fights, there will be a loud vocal Irish contingent 
cheering him on. And that does, that is something that he feeds on. And that is something that, that really does bolster him in the cage the same way that the Brazilian crowd does for Brazilian fighters, whether it's at home or abroad, the same way that I don't think we see that with necessarily Canadian fighters or American fighters. I know Chris Weidman has talked about it a bunch as a guy that, you know, his nickname is the all American. He comes out with the American flag. He's been fighting Brazilian fighters for his last four fights. He wants to be that all American guy that the whole country gets behind. But for whatever reason, our two nations don't necessarily do that save for sort of Olympic competition times, which is really weird to me because you see the effect it has in those competitions. And then for a guy like Connor or for a guy like Jose Aldo or various Brazilians that, that it would be really cool to see what kind of impact that could have across all countries, I guess. Now, you know, if you if you look going into the fight, there were a lot of people who said that Conor McGregor hadn't earned his shot, that he was still more hype, that he wasn't a good wrestler, that there was nothing there, blah, blah, blah. You know, Frankie Edgar <laughs> was vocal about it. Uriah Faber was vocal about it. Certainly Mendez was vocal about it. And it was nice to see some respect for them afterwards. Do you think Jose Aldo's mindset has changed a little bit now watching the way that uh, McGregor handled uh, Mendez? I honestly don't. Um, Jose Aldo is a guy that that has believed from day one that he is the best featherweight in the world. Uh, he has proven it on seven occasions in the UFC, nine occasions since winning the belt from Mike Brown in the WEC, and I don't think there's any performance anyone could have that is going to make him second-guess himself. He is, for me, he is still on another level, and until we see Connor get in there and disprove that, I mean, I think Conor McGregor can hang with Jose Aldo the way that Chad Mendes did, the way that Frankie Edgar did. But but as I said earlier, I'm still backing Aldo. I still think it's crazy if if McGregor opens as a favorite just because of one one fight or a couple of fights and, and a bunch of – not that I think it's hype. and I didn't think it was hype going into this fight. I've always believed and always maintained that Conor McGregor is the real deal. He is a legitimate talent. Um, but until, I mean, for me, it's the Ric Flair principle to be the man, you got to beat the man. And until, until Jose Aldo loses, I don't think there's anything that will make him second guess sort of where he stands and what he's going to be able to do in that cage. Oh, I'm sure he won't. It's just that there seem to be a lot of people saying that McGregor was overrated. And I think Aldo might've even bought into that saying, well, who have you really fought? But I think that now, you know, you talk about a guy who is one of the strongest physically guys in the in the division. Uh, Mendez basically he landed a lot of heavy punches on on McGregor, and it really didn't seem to phase him. And as McGregor says, like as soon as Mendez took that first step back, he knew that it was his. I just wonder if Aldo's sort of like, well, maybe maybe this guy's going to be a tougher challenge than I thought. But again, you're talking about a fighter's mentality, so it's probably right. not going to make a hill of, a hill of beans <laughs> difference to 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 Jose Aldo. <laughs> probably not and, and I guess that for me is sort of part of why this fight is now even more intriguing to me because there aren't some of those questions we've seen you know Connor go out and beat a legitimate two-time title challenger the legitimate number one contender in the division and so all that really does remain is sort of the the Jose Aldo question and man I can't wait for that fight to come so the rest of the card, it's easy to overlook it, but it was a pretty damn good card even going down to the prelims. Um, what else leapt out at you from from what you saw that day? And I know it, it is very easy to get overshadowed with what we saw in those last two fights. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Some point during sort of those last couple fights, I tweeted out that Thomas Almeida's flying knee finish of Brad Pickett felt like it was three years ago just because we were so caught up in the moments of those two title fights. That really stood out for me that he was able to sort of weather an early storm and get in a, a slugfest with a, a tough veteran and find that moment to get the finish. Um, so still super high on Thomas Almeida. Jeremy Stevens' knee on, on Dennis Bermudez was a thing of beauty, um, just standing in place and, and jumping into the air and catching him on the chin. Gunnar Nelson bounce back was really impressive to me. I think he's a guy that a lot of people kind of abandoned ship on when he lost to Rick Story. So for him to come out 
drop Brandon Thatch on the feet with a clean right hand and then get the submission, probably put him back into that conversation as a guy just on the outside of the top 10 in the welterweight division for people to, to look at. And then for me, just in terms of, of special, like emotional moments, seeing Cody Garbrandt and Maddox Mabel walk out to the cage together and Cody go out there and, and get another win was, was really something touching. Obviously we wrote the story. We had a story on it on the Sunday in advance. I got a chance to meet Maddox and his family throughout the week and sort of talk about the week with them. Um, so that was a pretty cool, pretty cool thing on the undercard as well. Um, now we've got, I know that there's a fight night event this week. We won't really touch on that right now because there's just so much going on. And I know <laughs> that this has sort of been the summer of that. You talk about we could do a, a three-pod episode on fighters pay and we may have to coming up once we it slows down a little bit. But there's so much stuff to talk about. I did want to touch on something before we left that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago my ongoing obsession with heavyweights and as we look at that division now the way it shakes out and with what happened to Kane and everything else um word coming today that Fader uh Emelianenko would consider coming back is depending on how much you believe these reports there are reports that he's actively said yep coming out of retirement I want to fight again and others that there's just sort of rumors about it and where is he going to go uh what do if anything do you know about this and where do you think it's going I know sort of just what's out there, in, and that's that that apparently Fedor wants to come back. He had retired a few years ago, took a position in the Russian government sort of dealing with the sport of mixed martial arts and sport in general, um, and has since expressed an interest apparently in in resuming his career, apparently is back training and, and is sort of being being wooed right now by different organizations. I think you'll see the UFC sort of reach out to to test those waters because obviously they were interested in the past. He is a, a huge name um, in the sport. I think for me, if I was a betting man, if this was to happen, I would see him back. I would see him in Bellator before I saw him in the UFC because he has a relationship with Scott Coker, who is running Bellator MMA now because he was at one of their tent pole events earlier, earlier in the year as sort of a guest fighter doing some autograph signing because there's an opportunity to sort of give him some, some lesser matchups for one off or two off situation where he can come back and get a couple big high profile wins, put some more money in the bank. Not that it's necessarily about money for Fedor um, versus coming back in the UFC where, you know, it's that relationship was always contentious between his team and, and the UFC team, whereas his relationship with Scott Coker has always been reported to be great. And so if he does come back to a North American organization, my bet is that it would be Bellator and not the UFC. Well, I agree with that, except that if money is at all behind this process, um, I mean, it would have to be the UFC for me. The money, that heavyweight division, we talk about it ad nauseum about what's going on with the, you know, who is who is really at the top of the division? What could they mean? If if payday factors into it at all, do you think that there's a chance that we could, could see him in the UFC? I mean, I think there's absolutely a chance. I, 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 it would be a, it would be dereliction of duty if the UFC didn't didn't investigate the possibility of bringing him back even at 35 years old and and having sort of washed out of strike force the way he did before getting a couple of wins in his native Russia to sort of close out his career on a high note just because of the possibilities that exist with some rematches and some some names that are out there and sort of as we've always talked about the heavyweights are always going to draw eyes and so you could package Fedor and Antonio Bigfoot Silva in a rematch as the co-main event of a, a pay-per-view probably with just about any champion and it would do reasonable numbers because he has such a strong following um, but I mean Bellator is backed by Viacom and Viacom has a ton of money at their disposal and and we've seen Bellator be a little bit more willing I think than the UFC to shell out big money to get a name into their organization um, and so I think with all things considered 
the UFC will definitely kick the tires and will definitely look at trying to bring him in. But but for me, if I was putting money on it, if he comes back, it's Bellator. Okay. Now, seeing as you were down in Vegas, seeing as you know you were around a lot of UFC people, was there any other news or anything interesting you picked up? I know, obviously, go to the Keyboard Khmer uh, blog at the at theprovince.com or check Spencer out on Twitter at, at @spencerkite k y t e if you are uh, looking for the other places Spencer writes as well. But um, any other news that uh, that you haven't shared yet, or interesting tidbits that you picked up down there? Anything on John Jones or anyone else that we should know about? I mean, there's been some John Jones stuff. Holly Holm came out this week. She's fighting today, tonight in San Diego, talking about John was a big help for her camp heading into this fight with Marion Renault. Um, but nothing, nothing beyond just that John is back in the gym and John is back around that team. Um, the big thing really this week was just people talking about the schedule and how we have, you know, there was the tough finale on Sunday following yeah. UFC 189. There's a fight card tonight or what people will probably hear this on Thursday. So there was a fight card last night in San Diego that was a, a solid event. There's another card coming up in Glasgow in on this weekend with Michael Bisping and Talis latest headlining. So the real talk was just sort of about this amongst the media, at least, was about just the crush of this schedule and how a lot of us are kind of just looking at getting through the end of July, getting through the first week of August and hitting a two-week break before that event in Saskatoon. And just, is the UFC going to be able to maintain this going forward? Because as much as UFC 189 is such a phenomenal event, it swallows up everything else around it. Like, it's so hard to pay attention to the tough finale because it comes afterwards and we're so focused on UFC 189. You brought up a great point there, Spencer. I have to give you credit. And so many people in their um, in their packages, will they leave Vegas on a Sunday. Why you wouldn't hold that event on a Friday as a warm-up, uh, you know, it doesn't make any sense to hold it afterwards. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a point that I talked about with a couple guys and, and most notably Ariel Hawani and I just kind of stood around talking about this is the order we would do it. I went to the Invicta event on Thursday at the Cosmopolitan. It was great. You bring them into the fold a little bit more because they're on Fight Pass. And you just sort of, to me, stagger the event so that everything builds to UFC 189 instead of having that. We all sort of exited the press room at you know, 12.30, 1 o'clock after the press conference, after following our stories. And I was saying my goodbyes and people said, you're not coming to the tough finale tomorrow. And I just thought you you've got to be savages to like, I understand it's what we do, but I need to come down from this event. Yeah. This has been a long week. I don't have the energy to go and cover Jake Ellenberger and Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, even though it turned out to be a really entertaining fight. Well, the whole card is pretty good. Yet alone this event on Wednesday and then this event again on, on Saturday. And so it would be interesting. I mean, Dave Schaller, as I talked about earlier, UFC PR head, chimed in on Facebook about the event. We then took it to, to email to talk about some things a little bit. So I appreciate that there is that interest in what we're saying and in what we're putting out there and that willingness to listen to some, some thoughts and some insights on maybe how to do things better. But I agree. For me, it, for me, it should be about building towards that big event. It would be great if there was Coming out of that fight, and I mean, you can't predict how it's going to play out, that it's going to be that epic, but you are building to it. That 4th of July event is always a big one for the UFC. To me, that's the point where you need to have a week break afterwards so that we can just process it and, and everything from that card can get the attention it deserves rather than jump into a tough finale. And then this event in San Diego and then this debut in, in Glasgow that that should get more attention than it then it obviously will because it is a debut event. I mean, the poor, poor UK and, and Irish writers have it to fly back on Sunday morning, Monday morning, and go right into press week, right into media coverage in Glasgow. Like, there's no break for them. There's no break for fans even. And I think at points, you need to have them so that you can really reflect on what happened and build to what's coming. Yeah, and on the tough finale, you know, 
I know you didn't really pay as much attention to this season as as in years past. I thought I liked the twist, but they completely messed it up by making it look contrived and just absolutely confusing. Um, you have American Top Team come back and win the event by winning three fights in a row when they looked like they were down, even though they lost more fights along the way, but the fights were given different point systems. So you tell them they won, everyone's celebrating, but oh, you actually didn't win because there's a one-off fight where you both pick a fighter for the finale and we award the trophy there. It just made no sense and right. got away from the sort of tournament element of what they did. But there were some great fighters come out of this season, some guys that I'm really looking forward to seeing how they do in the UFC. Jason Jackson's the one guy I think is going to be a real star, um, and he's got a ready-built... Uh, rivalry with steve graves um some nasty stuff to come out of that so i, I think that's what the, the ultimate fighter does really well is it showcases some young guys that you can then watch as they progress all the way through um but it just got kind of convoluted in the end uh but there are some great guys who came out of it and of course the news came out as well that we're now going to see <laughs> faber and mcgregor as the coaches in the next ultimate fighter where we know there's going to be a ton of shit talking yet they're not going to fight at the end of it because they want to keep McGregor there for the Aldo rematch. So it it seemed like they kind of got on the right track, but they've lost their way a little bit. Yeah, I mean, for me, the ultimate fighter has has kind of run its course as much as this past season. You're right, there are some some interesting prospects. Kamaru Usman, who won it, um, is very much somebody worth watching. Hader Hassan, who was in the final as well. Somebody going forward, you mentioned Jason Jackson, Michael Graves. Um, Michael Graves, I call him Steve Graves. Yeah. There's, a, there's always one or two guys each season that, that you sort of look at and go, okay, I want to pay attention. I want to keep tracking them. We saw a number come off the, the women's season in season 20. But for me, it, it's gotten to a point where I would rather just see these guys signed and brought into the UFC than, than have to go through 13 weeks of, of sort of edited reality television with rivalries and shit talk and and whatever because as much as yeah there's going to be obviously some tensions between team mcgregor and his camp of of coaches and and assistants and faber and the alpha male guys there's no payoff there's as you said they're not going to fight i'm not interested in the rivalry and the animosity between faber and mcgregor all I want is Conor McGregor to stay healthy for the next six months so he can fight Jose Aldo in December or January in Las Vegas and we can have another electric event. I don't need those two tied up in the ultimate fighter and sort of that pageantry anymore. It, it was great when it came out. It was so groundbreaking when it debuted and even the first, I would say, five or six seasons were really good. They had a couple good ones after that. I think when they brought in the featherweights and bantamweights was really the best of the last probably 10 seasons. That would have been season 14. But now it's just at that stale point and there's there's not a lot to it anymore that's going to captivate my interest because most of the prospects are either signed somewhere else or should just come to the UFC already. I don't need to see them go through this this system that doesn't even necessarily reflect guys true talent because it is such a condensed period that they have to fight in yeah i mean honestly i think there have been there have been landmark moments in there where even you had uh rampage against evans which really served to hype up the when they would meet in a pay-per-view and we don't even get that now because there's no doubt that you know josh josh koscheck and and uh and um, GSP, another one that you right. know, it really served to showcase that fight. And if, you know, as a as a Canadian, you wanted to see G GSP destroy this guy, which he did. Brought a lot of satisfaction there. So even in these later seasons, where the actual fighters from the tournament itself may not have worked so well, the coaches match up. You know, even John Jones and Chael Sonnen. I think there was some fun in that one that ended up with them in the ring. I, I have no doubt Conor McGregor, and we've already seen this video from Friday night at the weigh-ins with him and Faber getting into it, going into the washroom. Um, there's built-in stuff here that could be great, but if you don't get the payoff of a fight, it's just kind of it's kind of hollow. So anyway, we've we've kept uh, people here long enough. I've kept you here long enough, Spencer. But so much stuff to talk to talk about. Uh, what a week! What a summer <laughs> it's been for fights. 
Uh, great storylines going forward. I know I heard you back on TSN t- 1040. I had a bit of a to-do with them last week when they didn't even put Rory on the, on a question of best BC, best active non-BC <laughs> athletes that don't play hockey. And their excuse was UFC is in the decline. While anyone who, who even played paid cursory attention to that fight sh- says it's not in decline. It should be on the ascension. So great stuff this week. Appreciate it. It was good to be on. I'll be on uh, a Winnipeg-based TSN station on Sunday talking about everything that has happened since UFC 189. So, uh, and, and the Team 1040, I have to give them credit. They reached out. They brought me on. Um, had a good talk with Matt Sakaris. So it wouldn't surprise me if they do a little more UFC talk every once in a while going forward. Well, so, after a card like that, how can you argue? So once again... Go to theprovince.com, check out Spencer's blog, Keyboard Kimura, under the sports tab. Just go to MMA. Uh, check him out on Twitter, at Spencer Kite, K-Y-T-E, to see where he writes elsewhere. Thanks for joining us, Spencer. We've got lots more to talk about next week. And uh, enjoy your week. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Keyboard Kimura, the official mixed martial arts podcast of the province. Read the Keyboard Kimura blog on theprovince.com. Follow them on Twitter, at Keyboard Kimura. Or visit them on Facebook at facebook.com slash keyboard Kimura.